we come to our 21st study here in the Sermon on the Mount, you can kind of imagine that the, the disciples and those who were gathered with the Lord Jesus probably did something similar from time to time. They'd get up and wander around and speak to each other and maybe talk through some of the things that Jesus had said. You can almost imagine they're in the back of the crowd, maybe a little bit light of hearing, a little bit distant from where the Lord Jesus was speaking. They may have, you know, did, did you hear what he said? What was that that he, he, we're supposed to do good to those who spitefully use us? And per, what? You, you can almost imagine some of the things that the Lord has said in the Sermon on the Mount are so backwards relative to the way humankind generally thinks and has really thought since the very beginning. You can almost imagine somebody, maybe many people, kind of going, where's this going? What's the point? Because if you take the Sermon on the Mount and it becomes a philosophical treatise on how to deal with humanity or just a a long series of things where Jesus is really challenging the establishment, if you really look at it just purely from that viewpoint, that's certainly a, a wonderful teaching. But there's a central point, and we've now come to it as we draw near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. All of these things that Jesus has said, these things that are so difficult for us to do, or even hard for us to understand, that, that the things that we do have to be rightly motivated from heart. He's not just laying a burden on people. Matter of fact, he actually is not laying a burden on anyone at all, but he's really drawing a conclusion that demands a choice. And that choice we get to as we pick up here again in Matthew 7. And just a handful of verses tonight, we'll pick up in verse 13 and 14. And he's going to give us the reason why he said all the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount and why we're supposed to be asking and seeking and knocking. And he's talked about the eye being the lamp of the body and and all of these principles that if you just took them in abstract, they'd be almost senseless to talk about because they're impossible from a human perspective. Give you an idea of how old Connie and I are. I was sitting there thinking of this passage and I was remembering when Maranatha 1 came out. Uh, she and I were attending the same Baptist church in El Cajon down in San Diego County. And as we, you know, we'd listen to this, this new music and, and it didn't have an organ. You know, growing up in a conservative Baptist church, The organ was the sacred instrument. Matter of fact, praise couldn't be played unless it was played through the organ at the church. And so, and I'm not bashing organ music. There's some organ music that I'm sure is pleasing to someone somewhere. No, just kidding. But I remember, and on that album was a song, Two Roads from Which to Choose. Two roads. 
fool's highway, the road to heaven. And so as you you think on these things, Jesus is now going to get down to the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to appeal to us as to making this most important of all decisions. He's going to talk about two gates. He's going to talk about two ways, two destinations, and two peoples, all in two verses. It's going to be a bunch of twos. But he's getting to the point. Because at the end of the day, church is not about religion. It's about relationship. Church is not about us coming together to talk about some type of common thought about, you know, God. It's about having a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Most importantly, it's about all of mankind having the marvelous, wonderful privilege of choice. We believe, and most people, whether they're actually Christians or not, believe that there is a God, that's at least a God. They may not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They may not believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, But most people believe that there is a God. Very often it's of their own choosing, their own making. But in that, one of the key components to almost everyone's view of God is some version of his sovereignty. In other words, he is greater than we. We are the created. He is the creator. And thereby, he should be able to, could be able to, most often does do whatever he wants to do. And so in many people's view, that leaves us in the place of simply subservient to this almighty being who certainly is looking at us much like junior high boys and bugs underneath some form of a jar. He just, we're in there and he can do whatever he wants to us. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is very much contrary to that. And in fact, he has not only left us with choice, he's left us with the supreme choice. He has left us with the ability to choose him. He has already chosen us. Matter of fact, his word says he's chosen us before the foundations of the world. He also is willing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. He's made the salvation of every last person a possibility in Jesus Christ. And so he has made the supreme choice on his side before the choice that we will make ever gets to us. He's chosen you. God wants you. God has always wanted you. He's never not wanted you. He will always continue to want you. He wanted Judas Iscariot. But the choice was Judas's. The choice is everyone's. To receive and believe, to accept, reject, to go to heaven or hell, you will have eternal life in one place or another. You will be a believer or not. The choice is yours. No place is that more clear 
than in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins, and we'll pick up in verse 13. And let's pray and ask God to speak. Father, we thank you for this incredible teaching. Lord Jesus, as you spoke that day, Lord, as you ministered to the crowds, as you spoke to your disciples, you reminded them and you remind us to this day that all of mankind has choices to make. And there is one choice that it's essential to make in exactly the right way. Because there is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. There are not many paths, there are not many roads that lead to heaven. There is only one. There are not many gates that you can go through that will get you to that destination. And there is a singular way whereby all are saved. And Lord, we thank you that you've made the choice simple. And so we pray that as we study your word, you'd speak to us. Bless us. Lord, would your presence be in this place in such a wonderful way that we'd have understanding, that you'd give us knowledge into your scriptures. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God. Thank you for these beautiful saints. Pray that you'd bless each one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13, Matthew 7. Jesus now says, in light of all of these parabolic teachings, the things that he's said, these incredible uh, contrasts that he's made, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, which leads to life, and few there are who find it. And so he paints this picture of exactly two choices. There aren't 10, there aren't 20, there aren't 50. There is a narrow and there is a broad way. There are two gates, and those gates are narrow and wide. There are two destinations. One is life and one is destruction. And there are two kinds of people, the many and the few. And so as we embark on this short two verses, God's terms are the only terms there are for eternal life. You know, one of the great fallacies of of religion in general is that all roads lead to heaven. And people will often say, and I I do get into conversations occasionally with people, that, you know, the way is too narrow. This whole Jesus thing, where does that leave Muslims? Where does that leave Hindus? Where does that leave animists? Where does that leave the atheists? Where does that leave the agnostic? It leaves them outside of God's grace. I didn't say that. Jesus did. It's not up to anyone to change the narrowness of the gate, the narrowness of the way. There's no way that we can make it so that, as some do teach, 
ultimately everyone goes to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that there is clearly a way that leads to destruction, and that destruction is eternal. Unfortunately, a lot of people in church want to soften this particular message to make it so there is no choice. There's nothing to choose. Matter of fact, you can do whatever you want, and we're all going to get to the same place eventually anyway. That makes Jesus a liar. Because Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there are who find it. Now, is he saying it's impossible? Of course he's not. He's just simply saying that narrow is the way. And you remember in John 14 when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He also said, no one comes to the Father but by me. So he's not making a separate statement here. He's actually illuminating the truth that's already been spoken. He's highlighting the choice. He's saying, look, the choice is yours. The choice is mine. The choice is every human being's. And in fact, there's no place in Scripture this choice more visible than in this passage. You see, the Lord focuses on the inevitable here, that decision that each one of us will make and must make. Ultimately, we get to choose our own destination. I get to make that choice as to where I will spend eternity And so Jesus calls in this passage, in light of his absolute sovereignty, in light of his absolute sovereignty as God, he calls us to make the choice to choose him. He doesn't force us. You see, very often we take the sovereignty of God so far as to say God actually forces people either to be saved or not saved. Scripture does not declare that to be true, declares it to be false. There isn't a master list of those who will be saved and a master list of those who will be damned. And if you're on one, you can't be on the other. And if you're on the other, you can't be on the one. God has simply left that to our choice. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. It's been so since the beginning. As you look at this passage, that final choice is now what's in view. It's yours, it's mine. And it really became in view and in vogue, really, in in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, verse 19, it says this, I call on heaven and earth to witness against you today. The Lord instructed Moses to tell the people these things, that I have set before you life and death. Same choice. Blessing and the curse. And so choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. You see, even in light of mankind's understanding in the times of the Old Testament, under the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, ultimately under that which would be a sacrificial system that would require works done at certain parts of the time of the calendar year, God still left the choice to the Jewish people, 
to choose this day whom they would serve. Joshua echoed echoed that same thing in Joshua 24. And he cried out to the people, Choose this day whom you will serve. And he answered for his own house, for himself and his house. He said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In their understanding in that day and time, they were choosing God. The true God. The one true God. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the one true, the one living God that they understood to have existed from before time. And they said, we choose to serve you. And that was in direct contrast at that time to the foreign gods of the Canaanites. So what they were really saying is, we will choose to serve Yahweh. We'll serve Jehovah God. And we will not serve Baal, Ashtaroth. We'll not serve the god of Molech or the Canaanite gods, which there were many. We'll not serve the gods of the Egyptians. We'll not serve the gods of the Romans nor the Greeks, ultimately. You see, there would be many gods vying for their attention. And that's why the first commandment, is thou shalt have no other gods before me. From the beginning, God has said, you must make a choice. And you can only make one choice. You don't get two. You don't get to change your choice after you take your last breath. Some people say, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just wait until I'm almost dead and then I'll make a choice. That's a very, very, very unwise choice because in choosing that path, you're actually already choosing. Not saying you can't be saved at the last moment, but I wouldn't stake my eternity on it. So that final choice comes in view on Mount Carmel. The prophet Elijah, speaking to the people, said, How long will you hesitate between the two options, the two opinions, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it is Baal, follow him. Elijah says, make a choice. Jesus himself in John's gospel in chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. As a result of many of his disciples that had withdrawn from him and were not walking with him anymore, Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a choice. They made a decision. They left their nets and followed Jesus. And so in this sermon, Jesus is presenting that great choice of choices. And he lays it out so concisely and so clearly. And he does it again by way of contrast, as he's done through the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's allowed people to use their intellect, their mind, to sort through details, to think through these things. He he didn't just speak to them and go, okay, do this. He gave them the ability to, to put it into their brain blender and put it on high and stir it all up and go, man, what kind of you know, smoothie does this make? 
They were truths for God's people in every age. A decision about the gate, decision about the way, a choice between the one and the many, the one right and the many wrongs, the true way and the many false ways, the many roads and the one road, the many religions and the one true religion, the many ways of man and the one way of God. Do you see the difference? He's saying, look, there's all kinds of other choices. But you have to choose. The contrast Jesus makes here is not between religion and irreligion. It's not between simply religion and and non-belief. It's not between a, a low religion and a high religion. It's not between nice, upright people and vile, evil, degraded people. Notice he's not saying that at all. Because vile, degraded people can make the right choice. And very good, extremely morally upright people cannot make the choice to follow Jesus. And that's why he said the gate is narrow, the way is narrow, the one that leads to destruction is broad. The contrast is between God's divine righteousness and human righteousness, all of which, by the way, Scripture says is unrighteousness. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, how Paul put it to the church at Rome. He says everything that we concoct and think up and all the stuff that we do, the, the gymnastics that we play with ourselves about what's right and what's wrong, every last bit of it apart from Christ is actually still unrighteousness. And man, does that twist people up. Does it make people at times outright angry? Very often you'll, you'll talk to people and you'll be going down a road of sharing about God with them and as long as you're talking about God, everything's good, it's okay. It's like, yeah, well, I believe my dog is also God and my trees are God and my, my, well, my cars, I worship my car, that's a God too. And then you say, oh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Savior. The huh? No, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. Oh, you're one of those people. You're one of those Jesus freaks. I might remind you that Jesus was a Jesus freak. Because he said he was the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. There isn't another way. And so as he presents these choices for us to make, man's system has thousands of religions. There are thousands within Hinduism alone of gods. Ways that you could relate to the things around you in some higher power or higher form. And they're based on the accomplishments of men. That's how you relate to God. What you do for him. Only biblical Christianity reverses that and makes the divine choice primary. God already chose what he wants to do with you. He wants to save you. And he provided the way in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus died on Calvary's cross. He paid the price, the penalty for the sin of all of mankind. What he did was sufficient for every last person who has ever lived. 
and it is our choice to accept or reject what God already did for us. We cannot do anything for him. There's nothing we have he needs. He's only asking for us to believe in him, to receive that grace, and then to live for him, allow him to be Lord, to transform, change our lives. But by the works of the flesh is no one justified. That's the choice that Jesus presents to us. What the scribes, the rabbis had done in regard to their traditions, they'd lowered God's standards, they'd raised their own estimate of themselves. They've said, look, we do all these things for God, so naturally we have God's favor. And Jesus says that's not how you get God's favor. You get God's favor by throwing yourself on the grace of the cross. By saying, I can't do it myself. So I receive, God, what you have already done for me. And that necessitates a choosing as to whether you're going to follow him or not. And it puts you in this category. And as we finish the Sermon on the Mount, we start with two gates, the narrow and the wide, the two ways, the narrow and the broad, the two destinations of life and destruction, the two groups, the few and the many. We're going to move on to two trees, the good and the bad, and two kinds of fruit, the good and the bad, and two kinds of people, well, those who profess Jesus Christ that are sincere and those that are false. We're going to move on then to two types of builders, the wise and the foolish, two types of foundations, rock and sand, two houses, the secure and the insecure. That's how much Jesus wants to make sure we don't miss the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is to draw people to choose Christ and nothing else. No one else, no other false God. A matter of our choice becomes clear. He begins with two gates. He says, enter. And he does this in the original language in the Aroist imperative tense. And what that simply means is it's definite and it requires a specific action. In other words, when he says enter, you can only enter the one gate for the right result. You can go into other gates, but there's only one gate that's the right choice, and there's only one gate that leads unto life. There is only one truth. Jesus is basically saying, look, there's this opening. There isn't any other. People don't like that. But that's what Jesus declares here. And every person who enters the one gate, you're good. Here's the problem. You have to enter one gate. So by not choosing the right gate, you automatically get the wrong one. Because there's only two. And you can't be non-existent from the choice. You get to make the choice. And so not making a choice to follow Christ not making a choice to go through that gate, not making the choice to follow him, is making the choice to not. And so that's why he says the other gate is broad, it's wide. This one is narrow. It's not easy to get through it. And he's not saying that grace isn't free. Grace is a free gift of God, given to you, even given the faith to believe. So it's free, but it is not cheap. It's not tawdry. 
You know, it's not like those toys you get in, the, in those crane things at the movie theater. You know, you pay $740 to get a little stuffed, you know, minion. It's not like that. It cost God His only begotten Son, cost Jesus His life. It's the most expensive thing that you could possibly ever acquire in the entire universe, the grace of God. But He says, look, you have to choose. And we proclaim whether we're on the narrow way to God's salvation or whether we're on the broad way, whether we're heading towards eternal life in Christ Jesus, or whether we're heading towards eternal life apart from God. Do you notice what I just said? There's two destinations. People who don't believe in eternal life have a central problem because you can't have God on one hand existing outside of space and time saying that we've been created with a soul that's eternal and then all of a sudden, where does that soul go? Well, the fact of the matter is every soul goes somewhere. The question is where? Again, it's a choice. So you can choose an eternity in heaven or you can choose an eternity apart from God, which is in hell. God said the choice is yours. It's up to you. It's up to me. We proclaim a narrow gospel because it's the only gospel that saves Sometimes when you talk about this subject with people, they just, you know, it's like they, they I just, I can't believe God would do that. Well, here's the problem. If God had no standards, then he wouldn't be righteous. And if he's not righteous, then he's not a God that we should serve. And so you can't have it both ways. He either is who he says he is, or he is not who he says he is. And so if he isn't who he says he is, then why would you want to follow him anyway? You have nothing to choose. But the fact of the matter is, we do have a choice to make. It's interesting, the, the term that's used here for way, it is, it's, like, it's like it's really stingy. This way is hard to procure. It's difficult. I don't know how many of you actually hate those airport turnstiles and you know the things like if you've ever been to a major city where they have underground subways or or underground trains and you have those little tiny narrow turnstiles to go through that count how many human beings got on the train if you've ever noticed those things you kind of almost have to go through them sideways they're not actually made for real people right you know what i'm saying if you've had a little extra you know, dinner, you cannot get through there even straight. There, there's no room for, if you've got too many clothes on, you've got to take a jacket off or something just to get through there. That's the picture. This way that's narrow that leads unto life, you can get through it, but you've got to go through it God's way. Not your way. You don't get to take all your baggage. You can't take your sin. You do not get to take all your junk from this world through that turnstile that leads to heaven. You've got to leave it behind. That's why Jesus said, anyone who desires to come after me must first deny himself and then pick up his cross and follow me. 
You've got to go through bankrupt, in essence, of yourself. You've got to leave that stuff behind. That's why the Apostle Paul would put it this way. He would say, behold, all things are becoming new. For I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when I, I decide to make that choice to go through the one narrow way, I can't take all my junk with me. My junk's got to stay. Probably many of you have seen people who, you know, you, you've maybe seen them with their, when you travel, especially if you travel up the 395, you're going to the eastern Sierra during the summer. It is pretty amazing what people can stick on the, on the tops and the sides of an RV. It's like, you know, they've got kayaks and mountain bikes and they're towing a ski boat and there's fishing rods hanging out the windows and, and they're actually about as wide as two vehicles now. That's exactly what the Lord is, is warning us against. You can't take all the stuff with you. There's enough room for you to drive in the one lane that's marked heaven. But you go in the narrow way. You see, the Jews had the mistaken notion that they were all in God's kingdom because they were Jewish people. It's not what Scripture says. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people that believe they're saved because they got baptized as an infant. That's not what God's Word says. There are people that believe that they're going to heaven because their parents have gone to the same church for 30 years. Not what the Word says. The Word says you individually, each one of us, must make the choice to take that step down the narrow way. And that way is the way of the cross. But Matthew 16 will remind us of. We have to deny ourselves. You remember Jesus actually asked a question in Luke's Gospel in Luke 18 uh, of the rich young ruler. And he was talking to him. He wanted eternal life. And he said to that rich young ruler, look, I'm going to test your willingness to submit to my lordship. And he said to him, he said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But because of those things, that rich young ruler heard that demand on his life to forsake what he was clinging to on this earth, to serve the Lord with a whole heart. And when he heard those things, verse 23 of Matthew eight, or Luke 18 says, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, he wanted to take all of his stuff through the narrow gate. And Jesus said, no, nah, it's not going to work. Salvation turns sovereignty and rule over to Christ. We have to jettison the self-confidence and the self-achievement, the self-righteousness, the self-satisfaction. That's why Jesus said, unless you become as little children, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. You see, children automatically trust their parents. Now, some parents are not worthy of being trusted, but the fact of the matter is, is that young children instantaneously and automatically trust their parents. If mom and dad are walking across the street, the kids walk right after them. Jesus is saying, look, you need to make the choice to follow me just like a child. 
Because you know who I am. And he says, so the gate is narrow. Jesus is not some toy that we can, you know, dress up the way we want to dress him up. You know, it's almost as if some people think there's a, you know, there's a Jesus doll and there can be a, you know, a, a kind of I'm in the world and party Jesus and there's a, there's a I, I'm okay with sexual sin Jesus and there's a, you know, I'm a drunkard Jesus and those Jesuses aren't found in your Bible. The Jesus that's in here is a very narrow way. It's not a way of works, it's a way of righteousness. The sad thing is, is the wide gate that Jesus talks about is not marked destruction. I want you to think on this for a second. The wide gate is not actually marked destruction. It doesn't say hell this way. It says, this way is heaven too. Matter of fact, it looks a whole lot like the Las Vegas Strip. It's got lots of neon lights, little mini statues of the Eiffel Tower. It's got fountains, even has pirate shows. And it says, life is this way. And it's got arrows that said, if you do this, you'll get rich. And if you do this, you'll get famous. And if you do this, you'll satisfy your every physical desire. And if you do this, oh, you can just drink and drink and drink. And you're going to be just fine. It's going to be heavenly. You see, the broad road is actually marked heaven. Because that's what Satan wants you to believe. And many there are that go thereon. There's a lot of people that look at, well, yeah, of course I want to go down that road. You know, the Jesus that parties. Yeah, I like that. The party Jesus. I want to be part of that Jesus. The Jesus who likes a little herb. I want, I'm going to go with that Jesus. The Jesus that changes spouses every three or four years. I like that Jesus. The Jesus that says I can lie and still be okay in the kingdom. I like that Jesus too. The problem is it's not the real road. It's not the real way. It's the broad road. It's the broad gate. And it leads to destruction. It's the very thing that Proverbs 14 warned us about. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Oh, it looks good to your flesh. But it's actually the broad way. And those two ways, just as the gate that is wide, the way that is broad, the narrow gate which is small and the narrow way which is hard. You see the law of the Lord challenges us, doesn't it? does me. The law of the Lord challenges me in my flesh because my flesh appeals to the, the carnal side of mankind and seeks after those things. So my flesh would love to have my sin tolerated, to have my truth moderated, my humility ignored. There'd be no spiritual maturity in my life, no moral character, no commitment, no sacrifice, 
and I could just float downstream with the rest of the trash. You see, that's the broad way. It's easy. If you've ever had an opportunity to go inner tubing, it's actually kind of fun. But let me put it to you this way. You can't go upstream. There's exactly one direction you can go for any period of time. Oh, you can paddle like a mad dog and kick your feet and, you know, paddle with your hands and maybe you'll go 100 yards, but the current that you're in will continually take you downstream. That is the broad way. And many there are who go thereby. You travel up to Lake Tahoe, especially in the summer, and you get there on the Truckee River, the north end of the lake, and where it exits Lake Tahoe and goes into the Truckee River and people are inside it. You know, there, there's like hundreds of people in inner tubes. And, and it's, it's kind of like Disneyland got dumped into the water, just hundreds of people in inner tubes, all float in the same direction. And everyone thinks that they're unique. Everyone thinks that their particular position is the best position, when in fact they're just going where the current takes them. They're all going to end up in the same exact spot. They're thinking they're on some special journey, that that tree, they're the only one that gets to see it. You see, that's the way the enemy works in our lives. Makes us think there's something special about floating down our little chunk of the river of life. It's a trap. Narrow is the way that leads to life. You see, the broad way is easy, it's attractive, it's inclusive, it's indulgent, permissive, self-willed. It's the way of the world. has very few restrictions and almost no requirements. Pretty much anybody can do it. But that narrow way is the way of self-denial. You see, the broad way is the, the way that's tragic. There's a man from India, western India, which is fairly heavily populated with, with Islam. And he'd been shared with multiple missionaries, people who were proselytizing Hindu people towards Islam and those towards biblical Christianity. And he chose Islam over Christianity. He was asked the reason, he said, well, the reason I chose Islam is it's a very noble and very broad path. Everyone is welcome. He said, there's no room on that way to Christ for a man in his sins. The way of Christ is too narrow. It is narrow. But the good news is, we don't have to do it ourselves, amen? We're not, we're not on that path and God's going, well, you'll never make it. Sorry it's so narrow, guess you can't do it. No, it, it's not so narrow as to be impossible. That's the beauty of it. It's narrow because it refines us. It's narrow because it changes us. It's narrow because our minds are renewed. Our lives are transformed and changed. We're not what we used to be because the way is narrow. There's an interesting machine that they use now for mechanized logging. And if you've never seen it, you can watch it on the Discovery Channel. But if, if you 
uh, study such things. And again, I'm a repository for useless knowledge, so I'll just give you some of it. But when they, when they now, in mechanized logging, they have these giant logging machines that actually have a, have a set of claws, and it just grabs the tree. It has then an automated chainsaw that comes out and cuts through an entire tree t- trunk in like 30 seconds at the very most. Once it does that, it then has hydraulics that picks the tree up, flops it over sideways, puts it inside of this cone-shaped thing with all kinds of rotating blades, and it spits out a completely stripped tree trunk out the other side in like 30 seconds. Peels off all of the limbs, all of the bark or most of the bark, cuts it literally into 16-foot lengths, which is lumber length, and then you can load it on a truck. That's kind of like what our relationship with the Lord does. We come along, we get cut off from the world. We get lifted up out of the dirt. He then turns us over and strips off all the junk that can't make it into heaven. All those useless limbs, all that sin, the anger, the hate, the bitterness, the vanity, the lack of self-control, the ugliness that is humanity. The Lord Jesus lifts us out of this world and he puts us into that logging machine and trims all the junk off of us and makes us useful for something, for his glory and for his purposes. And the good news is he does that. That's why Jesus could say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's just narrow. It's not impossible. It's just narrow. And to us, it's a work he does. We just have to make the choice to be on the narrow road, the narrow path. And that's another reason why few there are who find it. You see, many people are looking for religion. It's interesting to me how people gravitate. When you do a study of world religions, you take a world religion class in college, you're going to find out that there are a lot of central tenets to most world religions that are fairly similar. And amongst them is a giant emphasis on works. It's what you can do for God to prove that you're actually either worthy or that you actually care about him or, or that you're, you're doing these things so that you can win his favor. And yet God says there's nothing you can do that's going to ever make you more acceptable in your flesh. You have to receive what was done for you. That's why it's a narrow way. You give people religion, they're really good at religion. People are fantastic at religion. Some of the things that get done in this world in the name of God are mind-boggling. Breaking massive quantities of glass and then crawling on your hands and knees through the broken glass to prove your devotion to a statue. Whipping yourself incessantly on your back until your back is so flayed open that oftentimes people who actually do that, 
bleed to death. But you're showing devotion. Christ already bled all that's necessary for you. You don't have to bleed for yourself. And the Jesus that we love is no longer on Calvary's cross. He'll forever bear those scars on his hands and his feet, but the work of the cross was done. He said it is finished. It's finished. The way is narrow. It's him. Those two pictures of the gate and the way lead to two destinations as well. And those two destinations are the only destinations. There isn't another kind of a a waiting place. Well, I have, you know, it's like right now in our political process, and I don't want to politicize this, but our political process, we generally speaking have two political parties, and we have a group called independents, right? And, And now when you look at the political polling, well, I haven't made up my mind yet. And that seems to be most of America. And so you have... On one hand, the Democratic Party, the other hand, the Republican Party, and you have these independent people somewhere in between. And yet, most of the Democrats haven't made up their mind, and most of the Republicans haven't made up their mind, and the independents never make up their mind, so most people haven't made up their mind. That is a lot of the way that people look at God. Well, I'd like him to be really conservative. Or I'd like him to be really liberal. Or I'd like him to give me all of my personal freedoms. But I actually don't want to choose just in case I want to change my mind later. Jesus says one way. There's one gate, you need to go through it. There's one path, you need to walk on it. There's one destination that you should really want. The other one's not so good. And that leads us with the the final thing, which is there are two types of people. Those who choose correctly and those who choose incorrectly, those two groups. You see, going through the two great gates and traveling down the two ways, heading to the two destinations, we find two groups of people. Believers and unbelievers, saints and ain'ts. People who are in, people who are out. People who are going to spend eternity in heaven People are going to spend eternity in hell. It's two kinds of people. Judgment Day, people are going to claim to be following Christ. They're going to claim to be following Christ. They're going to even remark about all the things that they did. They're going to talk about how they prophesied and how they did great and mighty works in the name of the Lord. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 13, verse 24, it begins this way, and at once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and began to stand on the outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open it unto us. And he said, I will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And then you'll begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence. We taught in your streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Matthew's gospel records it this way, shortly after the passage we're currently in. Many will say to me on that day, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus said, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You, you see, there is a religious way. There is a religious way that looks like it's the narrow way. There's the people who go to church, and they go to church very religiously. Matter of fact, it could be said that they're pretty professional at their church going. But Jesus is saying going to church doesn't save you. Having godly parents doesn't save you. Having some icon on your dashboard will not save you. Putting a cross around your neck does not save you. Having some prayer beads that you use religiously will not save you. Being baptized will not save you. If you are saved, you should get baptized. But it won't save you. Because narrow is the way, and few there are who find it. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It's very narrow. Doesn't say join Calvary Chapel. Doesn't say become a conservative. Doesn't say live here, live there. You've got to be an American or, man, you can't be saved. Jesus was actually asked that question, and he actually answered it and said, it is enough that you believe. But that believing is going to change your life. If you are a child of God, behold, old things are passing away. And so Jesus said, look, there's going to come a point in time when those nominal Christians are going to be known. And they're going to be really surprised. I always put it this way. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked probably more at who's not there than who is there. Because we can see the grace of God in, in our own lives and believe that there are people that genuinely love the Lord, that they're, they're pretty much a mess. And God's grace is sufficient for those who really desire to be well-pleasing to the Lord but fall short. But where he's very intolerant is people who claim to be Christians, but they care not for the things of God. They refuse to do what his word says. They will not be obedient. They won't hop on that narrow way and stay there. Matter of fact, they want nothing to do with the narrow way. And so tonight, as Jesus said these things, I say the same thing to you. There's no limit to the number that could go through that narrow way, by the way. Just had to go through one at a time. All of humankind, every last person can go through that narrow way. Every last person can walk on that narrow way. It's not an impossibility. It'll require that you leave the baggage behind. It'll require that you leave the junk at the door. 
The number is only few because few make the choice. Not because it's so difficult that you can't make it. The number is few because God's desires very often are not mankind's desires. Jesus said it is because that men love darkness. Not that the way was disguised. It wasn't like the Lord you know, had bushes grow over the entrance to the gate. It's not obscured. It isn't invisible. It's not even hard to find. It's just narrow. Every person who will come to the Lord Jesus can come to Jesus. It's that simple. All that the Father gives me John chapter 6 declares for us, the one that comes to me I will certainly not cast out, Jesus said. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on that last day. You see the way is narrow because the way is Jesus. There is no other way. And tonight as we close and bring the worship team back up, Two things I want to leave you with tonight. One is, make sure that the narrow way stays the narrow way. You know, as we spend our time on this earth and occupy until the Lord comes, we have an opportunity to tell people about the real Jesus. And the real Jesus demands that we make a singular choice, and that singular choice is to follow him. It's it's not some ethereal thing that kind of looks like church and you can do it any way you want. It it literally is to believe on the only begotten Son of God. It's not being religious. It's not going to church. It isn't even just reading your Bible. It's believing on His name and being saved. So make sure that the gospel presentation that you present is the one that's the narrow way. Because every other way is not the way. If it's, well, you kind of sort of need to clean yourself up and then maybe God will accept you, that's the broad way. If it's the way that says, well, you've got to go to this church or that church, that also is the broad way. The narrow way is Jesus. And he demands that we all make that choice ourselves. And so tonight as the pastors come down, if you're here and you've never made that decision, God's not going to force you. He's not going to beat you into submission. He's not going to make it impossible for you to walk in your flesh and fulfill the lust thereof. He's simply going to peaceably offer you an alternative to this world, and his name is Jesus. As the pastors come forward and as we pray, if you've never met the Lord Jesus, if you've never said yes, then tonight is your night. The choice is yours. And you can invite him into your life. If you do know him, then tell people about him. Because there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. 
And it is at the name of Jesus one day, just as we've already read today, it is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody. The question is, when will you make that declaration? When will you say, Jesus Christ is Lord? Because if you make it while you're still here, then that narrow way is yours that leads to heaven. If you make it after you leave here, then the broad way is secure. Jesus doesn't desire that anyone should perish. He is not willing that anyone should perish, and that's why he made that way free. Tell people about Jesus. Because he died so that we could live. Amen? Let's pray. Would you stand? Father, we thank you that the way is clear and the truth is clear. Your arms are wide open and all who will come will be saved. The Lord help us to present that narrow way to the lost world. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight that's never believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do so right now, that they would come and be prayed for, invite you in. Lord, it's that simple. You declared, if we confess you before men, that you'll confess us before your Father in heaven. And so, Lord, draw those who tonight may not know you. Lord, for the wayward, those that have been wondering which path they ought to walk, God, would you speak to them tonight? Does anyone here is harboring ill will, Lord, hatred, engaging in sin? Lord, that sin that's a mark that maybe you're on the broad path. Just get it squared away, get it cleaned up, make it a part of the past. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We praise you for your mercy. We pray that you'd bless us and fill us now with your spirit. Make us gospel kids, Lord. Use us for your glorious plans, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship. If you'd like to meet Jesus, we would love to show you the glory of his name. Just pray with you. You got something on your heart, your mind, you just want to pray with somebody. Leave it at the cross. Take it home with you. He is able and we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen? All right. Let's worship. <laughs>